Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, former President Trump is booked on charges of trying to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. COVID numbers and hospitalizations are on the rise across the nation. If you are going to be in a crowded public place, those are the kinds of places I would at least consider wearing a mask. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, the head of a Hawaii nonprofit on the mental health fallout from the fires and what's next. We really need to be thinking forward, and that's what a lot of the conversation is about right now. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. For the first time in history, a mugshot has been taken of a former president. The nation's 45th president, Donald Trump, surrendered Thursday at the Fulton County Jail in Georgia, where he faces 13 felony counts over an alleged scheme to overturn the 2020 election in the Peach State. 18 others are charged in the case. CBS's Nicole Killian was there to see it. Well, this really was an unprecedented moment, one that we have never seen before. I mean, just on a personal level, I have covered the former president since he was a candidate in 2016, covered him at the White House. But to see his motorcade enter the Fulton County Jail Thursday night uh, was really surreal. You know, you see these kinds of motorcades throughout Washington all the time or going to official events, but never entering a local jail. That being said, we know this process only took less than half an hour. The former president was in and out relatively quickly where he was processed and booked got that infamous mugshot. His height and weight were recorded. He was fingerprinted. All of this uh, done just as any other criminal defendant would. And New York's former mayor, the man once known as America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, had the same process. Um, That's right. Uh, The former mayor also surrendered himself a day before the former president. He addressed reporters after he was booked and he continued to defend his actions. He appeared unapologetic and said that he was simply doing his job as a lawyer in terms of representing the former president. Uh, Giuliani did post $150,000 bond through a bail bond company. We actually saw him outside of that bail bond company on Wednesday. But uh, this really overall was a dramatic moment. And we saw some of the former president's leading associates and members of his inner circle turned themselves in, including not just Giuliani, but Mark Meadows, who was the former White House chief of staff, Jeffrey Clark, an ex-Department of Justice official. Both of them really tried to fight their surrender, to delay their surrender, but ultimately they conceded. So, Nicole, the former president has said that he did nothing wrong. 
But I'm curious, how is this playing out on the political stage? I mean, there was a Republican debate this week. What's going on with that? Well, clearly the former president is trying to capitalize on this moment and spin it in the best way possible under the circumstances. So we have seen him post his mugshot on his campaign website to sell merchandise. He has put out fundraising appeals. He is now back on Twitter or X. You'll recall that he was banned from the platform after January 6th. And one of his first posts on X was this mugshot and an appeal for campaign contributions. So the former president is really hoping to use this moment to generate support among his base. How long that will last remains to be seen. CBS's Nicole Killian. COVID numbers are ticking up across the nation and so are hospitalizations. Outbreaks forced school closures in Kentucky and Texas. And CBS News medical contributor Dr. Celine Gounder says some people might consider masking up in certain situations. I think if you are going to be in a crowded public place, the subway, an airplane, a crowded theater, those are the kinds of places I would at least consider wearing a mask. CBS is Michael George. Instead of handing out homework, multiple school districts in Kentucky are handing out COVID tests. A lot of them are testing positive they don't know about, but the ones we do know about, it was a it's a significant number for, for McGoffin County. Schools closed in at least two counties in Kentucky, as well as a small district in Texas with students and staff out sick. It was a no-brainer that it was in the best interest of keeping everyone safe. The number of COVID cases is edging up nationwide. Hospitalizations jumped more than 21% in one week this month. Hospitalizations are up because COVID transmission is up, but who's actually getting sick enough to end up in the hospital? It's the elderly. So really people 70 and up are driving most of that, almost the entire increase that we're seeing in hospitalizations right now. A Hollywood studio and some academic and hospital settings are requiring masks again. Health officials say while that's not expected to become a widespread practice, high-risk individuals may want to consider wearing one. Updated COVID boosters will be available mid-September, once the FDA signs off and the CDC sets eligibility guidelines. The annual flu shot is out now and best taken in October. You can get both at the same time. Experts say if you do test positive for COVID, the best practice still stands. If you're able to stay home until you test negative on a rapid test for COVID, that would be the ideal. The CDC expects this trending uptick to continue into the fall. Michael George, CBS News, New York. There's a new official list now with the names of the hundreds still missing after those deadly wildfires in Maui. This as search teams continue their grim work. CBS has been Tracy. Off the coast of Lahaina, Navy divers are searching a four-mile stretch of coastline, looking for those who may have drowned as they desperately tried to flee the fire by jumping into the ocean. They are uh, meticulously doing the same thing in the water that we're doing on land. Mike Pruitt is part of FEMA's search team. After more than two weeks, they are now combing through the last of the destroyed buildings. Why is it taking so long to get through the entire town? It takes inch by inch. We see the photos of those missing that people are posting. And when you see those faces, it drives our team to even get back here and get to work as quick as they can. For the first time, police have identified a child killed in the fire, seven-year-old Tony Takafua. The family says he and his mother tried to escape the flames and were found in a burnt-out car. We're still collecting information and reports. Steve Merrill is the FBI's special agent in charge in Honolulu. What is the biggest challenge you're facing? We're finding that a lot of the information we received 
through nobody's fault, uh, is incomplete and sometimes ambiguous. The FBI has been compiling the just-released verified list of the people still unaccounted for. Hopefully the public will come forward, see someone on the list, maybe themselves even, and report in that they are safe and sound or provide more information to help us find and account for those people. And Maui County is now blaming Hawaiian Electric for starting the fire, alleging in a lawsuit that the utility acted negligently by failing to power down their electrical equipment during high winds. In response, Hawaiian Electric says it's very disappointed that Maui County chose this litigious path while the investigation is still unfolding. Now, in its lawsuit, Maui County alleges that Hawaiian Electric's down power lines ignited grass and dry brush in the area, and that's what started the fires. Ben Tracy, CBS News, Maui. Coming up, looking ahead to the historic March on Washington. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. This week, the Republican presidential hopefuls, minus former President Trump, took the stage in Milwaukee for the first 2024 campaign debate. CBS's Skyler Henry. Eight Republican candidates aiming to replace President Joe Biden took the debate stage in Milwaukee Wednesday evening. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is number two in the polls and widely seen as former President done. Donald Trump's main GOP rival. He focused on his own message. Our country is in decline. This decline is not inevitable. It's a choice. We need to send Joe Biden back to his basement. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley pulled no punches when it comes to federal spending and the country's deficit. The truth is that Biden didn't do this to us. Our Republicans did this to us, too. When they passed that $2.2 trillion COVID stimulus bill. Former Vice President Mike Pence is seeking to differentiate himself from his former boss. I think unquestionably I am the best prepared the most tested, the most qualified and proven conservative in this race. Some of the candidates are largely unknown to the voters outside of their states, like North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum and businessman Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, so I can say this. The climate change agenda is a hoax. The last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, What's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur. Burgum said abortion legislation should not be decided in Washington. We should not have a federal abortion ban. Uh, We should not, and the reason why we shouldn't is very simple. It's the 10th Amendment. We can't leave it to Illinois. We can't leave it to Minnesota. We must solve that issue. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson made a promise. I've pledged to reduce by 10% 
our federal non-defense workforce. Noticeably absent from this debate was the GOP frontrunner, former President Donald Trump, who said he skipped the debate because the public already knows who he is. But the former president held his own audience during a primetime interview with Tucker Carlson. If you're leading by 50, 60, I have one problem leading by 70 points, and I'm saying, why am I doing it? And I'm going to have eight people, 10 people. I'm going to have all these people screaming at me, shouting questions at me. The first debate introduced the GOP field to voters. Now it's up to the candidates to win them over ahead of Iowa's GOP caucus in January 2024. Skyler Henry, CBS News, the White House. We have an update now on that mass shooting at a biker bar in California. We warn you, some of the audio is disturbing. A race for answers after carnage in Southern California. A hail of gunfire Wednesday night at Cook's Corner Bar, leaving four dead, including the gunman. As you can imagine, the sights that they saw that night uh, were pretty horrific. Authorities say former California Police Sergeant John Snowling killed three people and wounded six before dying in a shootout with deputies. Snowling worked for the Ventura Police Department for nearly 30 years before retiring in 2014. Police say he traveled from Ohio, targeting his wife, who filed for divorce eight months ago. Oh my God, Marie. Marie Snowling severely wounded, though expected to survive. We do not believe that there was any uh, argument that ensued. Mr. Snowling, the suspect, then started randomly shooting at patrons within Cook's Corner. CBS's Carter Evans spoke with Jacqueline Bass, who was in the bar. I immediately called my daughter first. What did you tell her? I don't really remember. I just said shooter. There's a shooter. This California landmark, now the site of another American tragedy. Jared Hill. CBS News. A medical breakthrough gives a paralyzed woman her voice back with the help of artificial intelligence. CBS's Jim Grisula. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, used implanted electrodes to decode the brain of Ann Johnson as the stroke victim silently tried to say sentences. Technology converted her brain signals into written and vocalized language. I was thinking about running to the store. What time will you be home? In about an hour. To not make me laugh. An avatar on a computer screen was able to speak the words and display expressions. Kalo Littlejohn is a Ph.D. candidate at the University of California, Berkeley. We want to try to basically create a demonstration where we're decoding the text, the speech, and the avatar at the same time from Anne's brain as she tries to silently attempt to speak. Ann Johnson was a 30-year-old teacher, volleyball coach, and mother of an infant when she lost her ability to speak after a massive stroke 18 years ago. Sean Metzger is a Ph.D. candidate working on the intriguing research at UC Berkeley. In the Chang Lab, we really focus on restoring voice to people that have lost it due to conditions like stroke or ALS. Giving them the ability to communicate again with their loved ones and caregivers is really what we're looking to do. It's new hope for those unable to speak after a cataclysmic stroke. Jim Crisula, CBS News. This year marks the 60th anniversary of the first March on Washington, where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech. Some 250,000 people came to protest racial discrimination and civil rights abuses at what was the largest human rights gathering of its time. CBS's Natalie Brand spoke with four women who were there. What I remember most was be feeling excited. I remember walking across this expanse of grass 
with a sea of people. Among the sea of people there that day, Howard alumni Margaret Wright, Kay Henson, Beverly Brooks Anderson, and Marsha Moore. It was mind-blowing, as they would say. Hearing that speech that day, it, it was etched and sketched in the mind to move me forward. The women share a common bond of hearing about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream for a better America in person. Once uh, Dr. King started speaking, they listened with rapt attention. We should leave there with and be guided by his vision and his words to us for the rest of our lives. A call to action. I knew that I wanted to be a part of the movement. I think I was uplifted spiritually, intellectually, and morally. A sentiment that's endured the past six decades, but the work isn't done. You talked about continued hurdles. What is your hope for future generations? We have to teach the history of our people, and we have to encourage them to do what they can do to help their fellow man. There are things we must do beyond ourselves, beyond our family. Aim high, look to the mountaintop, and always be inclusive and in reaching out to touch the lives of as many people as you can. Margaret Wright, who has attended every march on Washington since 1963, says it's critically important to continue the legacy. There's much hope, there's much promise, there's much need. An annual gathering that serves as a reminder of the road traveled and the journey still ahead. Natalie Brand, CBS News, Washington. Coming up, concerns over a radioactive water release. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Russian President Vladimir Putin speaking for the first time since Yevgeny Prigozhin's apparent death in a plane crash calls the head of the Wagner military group a man of complicated fate. CBS's Deborah Pata. For two months, Yevgeny Prigozhin was a dead man walking. He'd only just returned to Russia this week after crisscrossing Africa, visiting Wagner client states in a bid to retain his grip on his lucrative empire. But the one thing Vladimir Putin cannot forgive, he once said, is betrayal. The very word he used to describe Prigozhin's failed mutiny it was treachery. Acknowledging the crash for the first time, Putin spoke of Prigozhin in the past tense. He had a complicated fate, the inscrutable leader said. He made some serious mistakes. A U.S. official has told CBS News the most probable explanation for the crash in which the mercenary leader is presumed dead was an explosion possibly caused by a bomb. Bodies collected from the crash site have been taken for forensic identification. But outside Wagner's headquarters in St. Petersburg, battle-hardened mercenaries have already started mourning, some openly sobbing as they laid flowers. It's like losing a father, said this fighter. He was everything to us. And now they may have nothing. Without Prigozhin, the Kremlin will most likely attempt to nationalize his multinational criminal syndicate. 
And the Institute for the Study of War believes Wagner will no longer exist as an independent paramilitary structure after what they say is Prigozhin's almost certain assassination by Vladimir Putin. Deborah Pada, Dnipro. Japan started releasing treated radioactive water from the Fukushima nuclear plant into the Pacific Ocean this week and is asking its G7 allies to support its action as it continues cleanup after one of the worst nuclear accidents in history. On Thursday, China said it was immediately suspending aquatic imports such as seafood from Japan. CBS's Elizabeth Palmer visited the plant and spoke with worried locals. Experts for TEPCO, the company in charge, explained they've collected so much radioactive water from rain and runoff over the years, they kept having to add tanks to contain it. Now these tanks are almost full of water, more than a million tons of it, and TEPCO says the only solution is to start getting rid of it. By piping it into the sea next to the plant. For Haru Ono, who's been fishing this ocean all his life, that is an outrage. It's not a garbage dump, he tells me. They say it's safe, but the consequences could be 50 years down the road. There will be no consequences, says TEPCO, because its technology removes all radioactive compounds from the water except one, tritium, which stays in but is diluted to meet international standards. So even when the water is piped back into the sea, TEPCO says fish from Fukushima will be safe to eat. The International Atomic Energy Agency broadly backs the tritium-laced water release, but will consumers actually eat the fish? Unlikely, says Haruo Ono, who is now looking at the end of his livelihood. For CBS Mornings, I'm Elizabeth Palmer in Fukushima, Japan. Some discerning wine fans still turn up their noses at twist-off caps. But what if the bottles of vino are suddenly made of paper? CBS's Ian Lee reports a British company is looking to lower the industry's carbon footprint. Uncorking the future of greener wine starts in this English factory. We've got more than 5,000 bottles stacked. This is 5,000 bottles right here. 5,000 bottles sat right here. Call it cardboard dough. After all, these are wine bottles made from paper. The overall carbon footprint is much, much, much lower on a paper bottle than it is the equivalent glass bottle. We believe it's up to six times lower. The first few hundred... Frugal Pack product director J.P. Grogan designed the bottles and the machine that makes them. How long do one of these bottles hold up for? For red wine, we're seeing sort of in excess of a year and a half. For white wine, it's sort of in excess of 12 months. The contraption pinches, folds, and molds more than two and a half million bottles every year. A plastic insert holds the liquid, and all materials are 100% recyclable. The whole idea is that we locate the machine close to the producers of the, the beverages to just limit the amount of movements. Allowing bottles to be made locally saves on hauling heavy glass. My first thought was this could be very successful. California-based Monterey Wine Company bought a machine to cut their carbon footprint. We've dedicated ourselves to sustainability. And making bottles locally had another appeal. So you are kind of like bringing jobs back to the United States. Our partnership with Frugal Pack has allowed us to get behind the scenes in how this bottle is made and find U.S. producers. Creators say the cost for a paper wine bottle is about the same as glass but hope as more companies switch to paper, they'll pour the savings onto customers.
Ian Lee, CBS News, Ipswich, England. Sure, it's still summer for the moment, but for many, the first sign of fall just arrived. Pumpkin spice lattes are back on the menu at Starbucks, and people are still flocking to get it, clutching their coffee cups. For a generation now, three words have come to mark the start of fall. Pumpkin spice latte, otherwise known as the PSL. When the PSL comes out, you gotta have it. I gotta have one. 20 years ago, Starbucks first mixed coffee and steamed milk with the spices of pumpkin pie. Created a flavor customers crave. Because it's fall, why not? What started in one drink is now a full fall menu that's released before the summer even ends. Two decades show the original PSL has staying power and the pumpkin spice trend it launched is still growing. There's been a host of pumpkin-flavored products over the years, from coffee creamers to pumpkin-flavored salsa, spam, and even pumpkin caviar. Most offerings are only around for a limited time. There's something about this kind of limited time period aspect of, you know, pumpkin spice, right? So it's kind of like a signaling that fall is here. Of course, not everyone is a fan. You're not intrigued. It's been around for 20 years. Um, I'm not intrigued by pumpkin spice. In <laughs> fact, I'm not, no. And jokes are now part of the season. It's that special time of year where we voluntarily imbibe pumpkin spice lattes, the coffee that tastes like a candle. Still, the numbers prove pumpkin's popularity. In the past year, U.S. sales of pumpkin-flavored products have reached more than $800 million, a 42% increase from 2019. A taste that only lasts through the fall, but comes back stronger year after year. Bradley Blackburn, CBS News, New York. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, what Maui survivors need. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, where every week we discuss issues including income inequality. We're taking you back to Maui as searches are continuing for more victims from those deadly wildfires. Hundreds are still missing and their loved ones are being asked to provide more DNA samples so that the remains that have been found in the rubble can be identified. The trauma is taking a heavy toll on the close-knit island community where housing was already an issue and discussions are going on about where survivors will be able to live in the long term. This as relief efforts are being organized by a plethora of leaders along with nonprofits such as the Hawaii Community Foundation. President and CEO Micah Kane joins us, and we began by asking how he and his family are doing. I think we're good. I mean, you know, we're, my family is on the island of Oahu. Um, but, you know, we have we have family and friends that have been directly affected. Hawaii's is an island community, so it's the world's biggest village. And so we all have, you know, friends and family that are affected that we want to want to support. So I'm in the first responder space. You know, I have a nephew that, you know, spent the first 36 hours out in the field. And, and all of us have family that were directly affected by the fires. I wonder how two weeks later... 
people people are still not having any place to live, right? So some people are in hotels, some people are in shelters. What have, what have you been hearing about people that are going through that right now? Well, I mean, there's 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 a lot of it's a mixed mixed bag of of stuff, Allison. I mean, and there's there's you know what what you had hoped happened, you know, in a within the rapid response period of a disaster of this magnitude, which we've never experienced before was um, the immediate ability to address the essential needs of those affected. But it's not a sustainable model, you know, even in the short term. You know, the the aloha spirit to take on a neighbor, uh, even within the hospitality industry, I mean, two hotels um, with hundreds of rooms are being fully dedicated to to serving those first responders and community people that have lost their their homes uh, right in. So that partnership has been very robust. Albrigger, uh, Kanapali, and Royal Lahaina Resort is 100% of that asset has been turned over to support community. And so that partnership has been amazing. I know there's been a lot of talk about tourism, but right now there's really good solidarity there. And then about 2,800 families that were in shelters um, outside of Lahaina proper, uh, we're down to less than 100 right now. And so those families are moving into community with others. And, but, you know, what was already a very stressful housing environment has been exacerbated. And again, you know, the Allah spirit by all is allowing that to, to happen, but again, it's not sustainable. And so we really need to be thinking, you know, forward. And that's what a lot of the conversation is about right now. I was actually going to ask you about that as there any kind of consensus yet on what needs to be done? Or is there going to be some sort of rent abatement or anything like that? Or are those discussions still underway? Well, I think fortunately the federal FEMA money is coming in and philanthropy on our side is is coming in. We've set aside a $5 million fund specifically for rent relief and other services that may put a family in, in, a, in a dire situation. And, and that capital is working its way through the market through a bunch of service providers um, and so I think to your point, Allison, it's, it's, it's shelter, um, initially, and then recognizing, you know, how people can be financially, you know, um, in a position to get through this unknown period until, you know, the federal funds can start to flow. And there's a little more clarity on, on a longer runway that people can have a degree of certainty around. It can't help that there's still so much searching going on, right? I saw officials, uh, earlier asking people to please, please, please donate more DNA because they don't have enough to identify right. what right. they've been finding in the rubble. What What are you hearing from families? Well, I think what, what hasn't been clearly articulated is the magnitude of how massive this disaster was compared to anything else Hawaii has ever experienced. We're an island community that has experienced fires, you know, tidal waves, hurricanes, volcanic eruptions. I mean, we're we're familiar with the way that this stuff rolls and we've adjusted in the past. But this was so unique, so so massive, so quick, so intense and so focused that, you know, it just it just it just hit us in a way where um the response was hard. And, and, you know, in spite of that, I think we're working through those issues, right? Right now we're just dealing with large numbers of, of people that haven't been found and, and the intensity of the fire is, 
has made that so difficult because the means by which you do it is through a very scientific manner. And, you know, that, you know, that makes it hard for people because it, it puts you on, it makes you push the pause button before you can really start mourning. Right. I um, CBS has talked to a lot of people, some who have come from as far away as Texas. Who, one guy was basically like, I'm here until they find my mother. Nobody knows where mother is. I think she was sure. in the apartment. And they are saying that they don't have a lot of places to go to find out these things. That's got to be just horrific to deal with. Yeah, no, it is. And because, again, I think the officials are doing the best they can under the circumstances and the science that's available. Uh, you know, outdoor environment, you're dealing with ash, you're dealing with toxics that, you know, require, you know, special, um, you know, outfitting. And so it limits the amount of, of attention you can put on the site. And so all of that creates stress. But at the same time, if you were to ask, female officials, you know, how the community and local governments have responded, they'll tell you that it it was an amazing coordination of activity. And, and I think that's kind of going unrecognized right now. When you, I was out in the community on Friday and some of the most efficient, you know, food and resource distribution centers, you know, and which were partnerships between community and, and, and uh, local government is, is extremely efficient. And, um, and so it's, uh, you know, I think people are very, you know, appreciative of that. And um, what I, I think right now, you know, where our focus is, is around the mental health of, of those people that have been impacted, who have loved ones that haven't been found, uh, who have lost their home, who have lost everything, and just making sure that there is a way forward and there's going to be a lot of help for them in the process. And the philanthropy what has happened throughout the world and the support that people have given throughout the country and across 40, 40 plus countries around the world has been critical in getting resources to these families and giving them hope. I know that you guys have been distributing food. What else do people need right now? And if people want to help, should they come to Hawaii or should they send from where they are? What would, what would be best, do you think? Uh, I, I, right now, I think the best way people can help is through financial resources, through a credible intermediary. And we're, we're one of many that are out there. You know, there's a lot of good ones. Maui United Way is a very good partner out there. Red Cross is a very good partner. Um, we're a credible partner. It's just, you know, what you want to be sure of is that you're dealing with a critical partner. Uh, financial resources that go into pooled funds that are being coordinated with, you know, high capacity nonprofit organizations or niche organizations that are able to provide services that government is difficult, is having a difficult time providing is really where you want to be. Uh, we have a direct working relationship with the County of Maui and their uh, emergency operating center and the leadership there. So we feel really good about, you know, how our resources are being deployed on behalf of the thousands of donors that have given us their, uh, their limited, their limited funds. I know that the president was there this week and he was saying that the federal government is going to try and help rebuild Lahaina and other parts of Maui and the way that residents would like that done. And I know that there has been some, uh, shall we say, robust discussion, right, between Native Hawaiians and the tourists and the developers. I've, yeah. Are people even thinking about that sort of thing yet or are they just trying to get through the next day? No, I, I think there is a little bit of that thinking right now and, and partly... 
because some of the the immediate needs are being met. That isn't to say that there isn't more need out there and that there isn't extremely emotional, you know, soreness happening. But I think, you know, and you if you talk to some of the Native Hawaiian leaders, and I am Native Hawaiian, and I'm familiar with many of the leaders out there. I mean, they they care as much as about the non-Native Hawaiian community that was affected as the Native Hawaiian community. There's a lot of solidarity out there. You know, we have a we have a history as Hawaiians that we are familiar with, and we know those are issues that we need to address. Now's not really the time to deal with that. Now's the time to be, you know, have solidarity amongst all people and make sure that all the people of Lahaina are cared for. The, the the development, the redevelopment, the future of Lahaina, you know, I know as an organization, we're going to be very engaged to assure that, um, you know, the the voices of, of all are recognized and that it's a equitable participation and that um and that it's a it's it's done in a way where community voice and community engagement is 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 there. That's a very important part of of the the long recovery that 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 we will be involved in. That was Hawaii Community Foundation President and CEO Micah Kane. Coming up, a special exercise for your body's pipes. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. There's a first-of-its-kind medical study out that could change the way millions of Americans use their voices, from stars to teachers. One actor nearly lost his vocal range 13 years ago and discovered that there are things that actually work to help you keep your ability to sing or speak. CBS's Christina Ruffini. It's fitting that out of dozens of roles, Drew Galing is best known for playing a doctor. Have you always wanted to be on Broadway? Always. Since I realized it was a job. Yeah. No, that's exactly what I mean. Because without real-life doctors, he might not have ended up here, starring in the musical Waitress on Broadway. Galing has been singing and performing since he was a kid, until one day, fresh out of college, he suddenly couldn't. About 2010... I woke up one day, had no range beyond like one octave. To suddenly have that be gone, what do you do? When you lost your voice, did you feel like you lost a part of yourself? Yeah. Doctors scanned his throat and discovered calluses on his vocal cords, a common condition not just for actors. He started therapy and began looking for answers. We realized that no data had really been collected on this entire population of singers that use their voice eight times a week. So with Broadway on the back burner, he decided to study how performers protect their voices. But we found that it was really interesting to see what a performer could and couldn't do in their extracurricular life while they were performing eight times a week. What things they found impacted the quality of their voice. Yeah, like, can I drink a lot of coffee? Can I use dairy? We were just asking questions to people that didn't have a background in medicine. Uh, I like to tell people... Otolaryngologist Dr. Haley Bourne, however, does have a background in medicine. I said, you know, I really want to know what people think affects their voice. Because I feel like we spend a lot of time talking amongst ourselves as doctors, but we're not always focusing on the things that our patients are focusing on. They joined forces, going stage door to stage door to survey more than 100 singers, professional and not. The study found that a lot of the things people thought helped their voices, like avoiding certain foods or taking supplements, didn't actually make an impact. 
Now, 10 years later, Bourne is doing the study again. Is the goal that once you research these different methods, they could help pretty much anybody? Exactly. The majority of laryngology patients are actually just heavy voice users. Lawyers, teachers are a huge cohort of our patients. Or sometimes even a reluctant television correspondent. What we're doing is we're using a camera with a fancy light that goes through your nose and goes down and we can actually see your vocal folds. Good. That's the back of your nose. It's about as fun as it sounds. But doctors here at Columbia Medical's Voice Center use tools like this to diagnose and treat a range of patients, from opera stars to teachers to remote workers who've strained their voice on one too many Zooms. I think that there's a real intimate relationship with how you sound. And when patients have something happen to their voice where they don't sound like themselves, they don't feel like themselves. So all we're going to do is we're going to blow some air through the straw to start. I've never felt closer to my Broadway dreams. But doctors have found that hydration helps, and so does this very strange exercise. We want to increase airflow while we speak. Try it again. Beautifully done that time. Okay. When I reluctantly agreed to be scoped a second time, the difference was apparently noticeable. The airflow techniques that you were using allows you to use your voice more efficiently so you're not squeezing so much. A great thing that I always like to do. You guys really do the straw thing. This is for real, okay? No, 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 no. Be serious here, okay? In fact, it's one of the exercises that helped Galing get his voice back and keep it. So if you see somebody walking around on the street blowing air into a bottle, don't laugh at them. They are taking care of their instrument. Bourne hopes the second larger study can be used to help all of us preserve our vocal instruments, whether it's a virtuoso. I must say, it felt like I was carried away. Or in my case, more of a kazoo. Happy birthday to you. I would like this out of my nose, please. Happy birthday to you. CBS's Christina Ruffini. Want to text with Jesus? There's an app for that. For just $2.99 a month, Text with Jesus will let you have conversations with Jesus, Mary, Joseph, Peter, and Matthew. But there's controversy, too. You can also talk to Satan. The app does not claim to be divine. Instead, it gives responses based on biblical text. It's all generated by artificial intelligence, and it's currently available for iPhones, iPods, and Macs. Jen Clark, CBS News. Finally, a Virginia woman who shows up for her chemo treatments wearing an inflatable flamingo costume. WTVR-TV's Rob Cardwell. Susie Romel will be the first to tell you she doesn't like to cook. She blames the stove. I've got a million and one recipes in there, but I just don't like that stove. So if you can't cook them in the air fryer, I'm not cooking them. You'll find the occasional pastry and tasty teas in her kitchen. And you'll also find post-it notes. Lots of post-it notes. This is my favorite one. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And there's been a lot of prayer here since late 2018. I was in the hospital for about three weeks and had surgery and they found cancer in many places. With that diagnosis, you'd think Susie would have some down days. I don't. I know that's hard to believe. I I think there's something wrong with me. Susie says other people might agree with that especially when they see thank you so much party and chemo it's a party hi everybody every time she visits the women's cancer and wellness institute i've had this five years i've been in here coming here five years so i feel like i pretty well own the place (laughs) i'm a big butt every time she comes to chemo 
it's a different costume. Most of them, I'll just think about what kind of a day it's going to be, and I'll just get an inspiration. And then I start adding bits and pieces to it, and all of a sudden, you've got this. <laughs> Susie's always been creative. You have to be when you're a teacher for 31 years. I would wear funny headbands and dress up in crazy clothes, and my children, when I taught fourth and fifth grade, would look at me like, is that our teacher? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Even her doctor is surprised, but will tell you Susie's attitude is good medicine. Stay positive. It makes it a lot easier on them. Uh, they seem to have better outcomes, better uh, treatment, uh, less side effects, that sort of thing. You know, glass is half empty, half full. Mine's always been, you know, on the full side, always, always, always. She's got no time for that stove at home. Woo! No time for worrying about cancer either. Something for you to enjoy the day. She's got work to do, figuring out her next costume. There you go. Thank you. Have a blessed day. And how to bring a smile to others. It's a party in chemo. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor, and Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail. Or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand, Drunk Elephant, was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. For more deep dive and daily business content, listen to Wondery, the destination for business podcasts. With shows like How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more, Wondery means business.